Good morning. I'll be needing them. <laughs> Can you hear me yet? Right. I think we're getting there. I am on. I'm just not very loud at the moment. We, uh, if you've joined us uh, here for the first time, we're in the middle of um, looking at the Apostles' Creed. We're looking at what Christians have believed for thousands of years, and we're identifying with them. We are, we are standing with them and saying together, we believe. But we're also together saying, this is what we believe. And this is leading towards a commitment evening in February, where we stand together as a church to say, yes, this is what we believe together. And this is what God is calling us in to together. But as we go through the Apostles' Creed, we're, that's really based on this. So we're looking to the Word of God to inform us in terms of our doctrinal unity, if you like, what we're committed to theologically, what we really believe, what absolutely and utterly we're committed to, what defines our lives. And so we're starting each of these um, sessions by reading the Apostles' Creed to dig it together, and I'm not going to change that habit. We're going to do the same thing because it makes a lot of sense. It's going to appear behind me, and we're going to read that together, if that's all right. So it begins like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So our section today, if you hadn't already guessed from what's been brought and what's been prayed, is this, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's been corrected from what it was the first couple of weeks, which was, and he will come again to judge the living dead. It's a slightly different concept, not based in the Bible. So we're going with the original Apostles' Creed, run the ad hoc version that appeared on the screen. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. So we've not moved on from last week's subject, in other words. It's all about He. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what He is going to do and who He is, if I can say that sentence. Who He is. And that's our subject for today. But obviously, who He is and what He will do and has done massively affects us. So we're going to look at that as well. And we're going to base ourselves in 2 Peter 3. So if you want to turn to 2 Peter 3, we're going to use this section of the Bible to help us fill out this statement within the Apostles' Creed. 2 Peter 3, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. 
First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on, on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We're in a society that doesn't like it when you judge them. Don't judge me because of my fashion sense. Don't judge me because of what I believe. Don't judge me. I'm an independent individual. Don't judge me. And at the same time, we are absolutely obsessed with entertainment shows which involve judging. So we have... These are a few that I found. We have the British Bake Off. We have Strictly Come Dancing. Britain's Got Talents. The Great British Show and Bean. MasterChef, The Voice. I'm sure you could list others as well. But these fill our screens. We love it when someone gets judged. And in fact, some people purposely put themselves in a position where they're going to get judged. So we hate it and we love it. I guess it depends on who's judging us and what they're judging us on. Go to the next slide. We've got a picture here of some uh, lovely people. The judges from Strictly Come Dancing. I don't even know all the names, I'll be honest with you. Can I just get the handheld mic? Bless her, that's all right. Um, I've got a question for you. Who is your favorite judge and why? This is interactive. Wait till the mic comes to you. Ideally, one representative for each judge. Anyone, anyone like Craig Revel Hallward? Okay, Julie, can you tell me why? Sorry, Alistair, I know you focus on taking notes, but this is a bit more important. Come on, out of the way. <laughs> because most of the time he's brutal, but because he knows what he's talking about, he makes it like, he criticizes them, but he also gives them praise when they, want, they need it. And... So his harshness means his positivity is more valuable. Yes. Ooh. Sorry? Just use one of them. I like to be heard. Just use one. I can't do that. Right. Um, who else is there? What's the one, the next one? I don't know what her name is. Shirley Ballas. Anyone like Shirley Ballas? Well, that's quite telling, isn't it? Oh, Rachel's going to do that. Is that a sympathy vote for Shirley? 
Oh, she does like Shirley. Come on, then. You need to tell us why. I can't get down here. Phil's not going to move. Oh, he has. I think she's fair, she's kind, and she's constructive in her criticisms. So I like her. Brilliant. Right, who's next? Motsi, is that right? Motsi... Someone. I don't watch the programme, but I know everyone else. Who, where have we got? Oh, Anita. I think she's just incredible. I think she's very out there and positive and has fun and just says what she feels and spontaneous, yeah. Brilliant. And Anton Dubeck. Any Anton fans in the house? Oof. Anton's lovely. Uh, I think also it helps that we've actually watched him dance for years, so we know that he absolutely knows what he's talking about, but he's also very kind and um, encouraging in the way he brings his judgment. There we go. But that's interesting, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> My voice sounds better with that one, though, doesn't it? It's more powerful. Um, different judges, different reasons. Have I lost my glasses? It's okay. They're there. Different... I just, should we just take a moment? To... <laughs> too many props, too many things going off. It's interesting, isn't it? Different judges for different reasons. We want the judges. To... I've found the Anton thing quite interesting. He's been there and done that. We've seen him dance. We know he's, he's legitimate. He can judge us. But the Craig thing as well, you know, he's not just letting his compliments come out. You've got to work hard to get that. And when he gives it, you know you've earned it. It's interesting, isn't it? Who's our judge when we live our lives? Who would we want to judge us? You see, I wonder, and this passage suggests this as well, I wonder where we live with a sense of being judged by the world. So if we go to verse 3, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming promise? They will scoff. And we are concerned about the scoffs of people around us being mocked. That is them judging us. And we base our decisions, our desires even, on what they say. But that's not who our judge is, is it? It's one of those, who is our judge? It's a, the Sunday school question with a Sunday school answer. Our judge is Jesus, isn't it? Let's go into uh, John 5, 22 to 23. It will appear on the screen behind us as well. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son. Not even the Father judges. The world won't judge. Jesus will judge. He is our judge. And may I suggest very subtly, but very emphatically, he is much better than Anton and Craig and Prue and Paul and anyone else you care to mention on any judging panel, on any show. He is immeasurably better than any judge because he judges with pure justice. John 5.30, a little later on in that passage, this is what Jesus says. 
By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. That word just means it is right, not wrong, righteous. If judgment is to be trusted to any person, then Jesus is the best person for it to be entrusted to. All the judges on Strictly, on any of the show, are flawed. They have bad days. Jesus is perfect and judges perfectly. This is good news. This means that perfect justice will be meted out, will be given out. It will happen no matter what our experience in this life when we come across atrocities or catastrophes. When wars happen and war crimes happen and people aren't brought to account, they will be brought to account on the day of judgment. And they will be just judged justly by Jesus. Jesus judges justly. Do we live with that reality? So we can put the world in their scoffs and Jesus as his judgment. Put them as ideas and concepts that drive our decisions and our behavior. Which one are you more aware of? Which one do we live with more? Which one are we concerned about? Which ones are we thinking about? I'll leave that with you, but I know for me, the challenge of being judged by the world lives heavily. That my actions can be changed. What I believe can be changed and altered by what the world says and the scoffers and the mockers say. But we are not answerable to them. And when the day of judgment comes, when Jesus comes again, it will be him, he, the pure and righteous one who will judge. And he will judge those who have scoffed. What will he judge? Just to be clear, I like to be comprehensive. He will not be judging um, soggy bottoms. He will not be judging your posture when you dance. These are not of concern to Jesus. We can go into Matthew 25. We're not going to read that, but in Matthew 25, we see that in the judgment process, the fundamental thing that Jesus is doing, he's separating. He's saying, these are sheep and these are goats. The parable may be familiar to you, but he's, he's drawing a picture. He's saying on the day of judgment, it will be binary. There'll be no middle category. There'll be those he counts as sheep and those who he counts as goats. Those who will come into his kingdom with him and those, to use Jesus' words, who will go to eternal fire. In that parable, we read, it's when you do things for the least amongst us that you do it for Jesus. Those are the people who do those things that Jesus welcomes us into the kingdom. So we then begin to think, is this about our obedience, our work with the poor? Is that the essential element to become a sheep rather than a goat? Well, later on in the gospel, Jesus will point to the same situation in time. And he will say, those who behave spiritually, to some of them, I will say, get away from me. I don't know you. So we see there's something about obedience and something about knowing Jesus. Let's pull a few of the passages out from the New Testament just to spread some light on this. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 10, it says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He did not appoint us to suffer wrath, 
that comes following judgment. And we'll go to Ephesians 2.8 as well. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. There's obedience. There's a relationship with Jesus. And then there's faith in what Jesus has done. Obedience doesn't save us, but it is indicative of that faith and of that knowledge of Jesus, that relationship. Even though we know Jesus is perfect and will judge perfectly, the idea of judgment can still feel ominous. I mean, what does it actually feel like to present a cake to Paul Hollywood and Prue? Even though you want to do it, there must be a sense of nervousness. How much more when we come before our beautiful Savior and present our lives before him? At that moment in time, what do we trust in? What do we have confidence in? What do we point towards? Let's, let's pretend we're on Bake Off, shall we? And there are times when people make cakes and it doesn't go as well as it could. I've got some examples on screen coming up. Now, these aren't actually from the Bake Off. So someone's seen this online and thought, yes, I want to create a birthday cake like this. And so I've had a go and here it is. Sorry, I should have said beforehand, um, some viewers might be affected by the, the, this current sequence. So if you're affected by any issues raised in through this uh, PowerPoint slide, uh, support is available afterwards. It gets worse. Another, there's another cake. This one. This is, who's this? Who knows who this is? It's Bluey, isn't it? Bluey. Wouldn't you love Bluey as a birthday cake? And then your dad and your mom makes you the cake and it comes out like this. Ah! <laughs> Mommy, take it away. Oh, my eyes. And yes, of course, we've saved the best till last. Elmo, one-year-old birthday party. Let's celebrate with Elmo and look what comes out. <laughs> Apparently, in that situation, the child was taken away from the parents for a couple of weeks just to make sure she was okay. I don't mean to mock <laughs> But I want to make a very, very serious point. When, if we are trusting in our own righteousness, if we present ourselves before Jesus and say, look at me, look at what I've done, look at my efforts, look at my holiness, look at what I've achieved, it's worse than alienized Elmo. Way worse. The Bible says this our righteous acts are like filthy rags. If you come before Jesus and you are trusting in your own efforts, it will not end well. You will not be counted as a sheep. But what have we just read? We say by grace through faith. What we just read, we will not suffer wrath because Jesus died. And so we can stand on the day of judgment, not fearing in one sense, because 
It's like at the Bake Off presenting Elmo to Paul Hollywood and him going, what? But instead of judging at that point in time, instead of kicking you out of the tent, do you know what Paul would do if he was Jesus? He'd go, here's what I made earlier. It would be absolutely perfect. It would be the best cake possible. And he'd put it there on the table and he would judge that cake. He would find it faultless, perfect, unerring, no issue, no problems whatsoever. And you would be the star baker for that week. That's what Jesus has done for us. It is ridiculous. In a game show format as entertainment, that doesn't work, does it? Because if Paul did that every time, it'd be quite boring. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about our eternal destiny. And we're talking about a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. We're talking about Jesus judging his own righteousness, which he finds to be perfect. And we are those in faith who are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So when it comes to the day of judgment, when he comes again, we welcome it. We can revel in it. We can glory in it because we know we're in Christ. We know what he has done. We know that we will be judged righteous because of what Jesus has done. And this is the good news that we're proclaiming today. This is what we live for. This is why we live. Because of what Jesus has done. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And he will find those in Christ righteous. And he will say, you are a sheep. Come into my kingdom and spend forever with me. We will fall short. But Jesus atones for us. He makes up for our cake fails. He puts himself in our place and receives the judgment we should have received. So we don't have to worry about judgment day then. Well, kind of, yeah, we don't have to worry. But I just wanted to spend a bit of time in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. It says this, This is Paul talking. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. He's talking about our lives here. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, and this is the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. So our eternal destiny is secure through Jesus, but we still have a responsibility for how we build our lives. To not build with hay, or wood that get, gets burned up, but to build with gold and costly stones. How are you living your life? How are you building your life? What are the materials with which you are building? Are they things that will last or things that are going to get burned up? We'll come back in a bit to what that means. We're going to tie that down a bit later. But what I want us to do is just take a few pointers from this passage about time and our understanding of time. 
Because that's so important in getting hold of how to build appropriately. And I know what you're thinking. We need a, a bug roll to help us with that. Yeah? Nathan Turner reminded me of this uh, illustration uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we're, we're going we're to play past the bug roll. I don't want it to break. Be careful. I don't want it to break. Stuart, can you just take that? Pass it to the person behind you. Don't... Gent- <laughs> we'll try that one again, nice and gently. I'm holding on to it, pass the roll, don't break it. There we go, that's it, beautiful. We might need to move a bit quicker than this though, because this is going to be a very long illustration, which could be helpful in making the point, but not helpful in, that's, look at that. There we go, well done, Mike. Can it go any further? That's it, fingers in the middle, beautiful. That's, and we're, we're like, we're now adorning Stuart with toilet roll. Okay, this is attempting to represent time. That's it, that's okay. To be honest, if it was a full bog roll, it'd take it about 20 minutes, wouldn't it? But let this be a representative of the whole of time and eternity, okay? Sorry, Ginny. <laughs> Sorry, Christina. And, but we live our lives as if this was the whole of time and eternity. So we're basing our decisions on the whole of this, aren't we? What shall I do in the middle of my life? What shall I do at the end of my life? What shall I do here? If I train when I'm at university, then I might get a better job here. And then in, at some point in time, I might get married, I might not. And then eventually I'll retire and then I won't have to do what I'm going to do. That, that's how we plan it, don't we? But in this illustration, it's not even really accurate. We could say that this, this, this piece of toilet roll here is really our lives. And this massive stretch of toilet roll here is eternity. And we need to get hold of an eternal concept of time, although time is infinite in eternity, isn't it? And these, this is our life, and these are the decisions we make here, and do you know what? That affects all of that. Brings a little bit of focus, doesn't it? Because often we're making our decisions on the basis of, I'm going to drop this now, I think. Right, I'll make my decision on the basis of here to see what's going to affect that bit there. But our, our, our mindset should be over here. Eternity. I don't want to do this now. One piece of toilet roll affects forever, if I can put it that way. Out of context, that's going to mean nothing, isn't it? Don't, don't use that with your friends to explain eternity. They'll have to have seen this. One piece of toilet roll affects everything. I think, I'm hoping that's landing with you here. I hope it makes sense here. So maybe, you know, you can have these decisions in this life like, oh, I need to travel the world and see the world. Well, we read here there's a new heavens and a new earth that I'm going to have eternity to explore. So maybe I could adjust my expectations for the amount I need to explore in this life. Or maybe you're thinking, I need to fulfill my potential in this life. I did a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking. I can't find that concept anywhere in the Bible. Fulfill your potential. In fact, the word potential, I don't think, even features in the NIV version. I saw lots of things about obedience. saw lots of things about being faithful servants. Lots of things about disciples. But nothing about fulfilling our potential. You see, we're not trying to fulfill our potential in this life. We're trying to build for eternity. 
And it changes everything. It changes the dynamic. It changes what we're focusing on. It changes what we're aiming for. Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. What am I doing here in this little segment? Fundamentally, I'm obeying Jesus. I'm following Jesus and I'm obeying him. Through his word and through the prompting of his spirit and through the wisdom of others. I'm not trying to fulfill my potential. I'm not trying to fulfill the potential of my children either. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just not my focus. We're building for eternity. Therefore, we're doing what God's asked us to do. We're being obedient servants of the wonderful Jesus. The other mistake that we can make in this segment is going, well, we've just talked about the grace of God. It's the grace of God. So it doesn't really matter what I do. Well, we've covered that a little bit already, but Romans 6, Paul addresses this and says, you know, should we go on sinning? Shall we do that? If grace, if grace abounds when sin abounds, shall we go on sinning? Paul's response is this, by no means. We're no longer slaves to righteousness, we're slaves to Christ. Sin has nothing to do with us as children of the light. We put it aside. We put to death the misdeeds of the body and we choose to follow Jesus because we're building with something bigger and better and sin does not do that. And again, we'll come back and I'll try and land this a bit more for us a bit later. Another way that time affects how we live our lives is that we need to recognize there is a time limit. In the bake-off, there is a time limit for the baking. Depending on what they're doing, it will be a different amount of time, a different length of time. I've, never, I've watched the bake-off rarely, but I've never seen anyone in the middle of a, a baking process sit down and do their personal finances. I'll just take this moment to catch up on my, uh, my accounts. Yes, they all to be, it's all to be okay. Or alternatively, get a masseuse in. And whilst they're, you know, they could be baking, they could be making, could be icing, but it's like, I'll tell you what, this is the moment I'm going to get a massage. And they come, everyone's going, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. If you know the person in front of you, well, just, just give them a shoulder rub. They're feeling a little bit left out. There we go. Steve's getting one. That's low. And Chris is getting one. There we go. That would not happen in the middle of the bake-off, though. They wouldn't get a masseuse in, would they? Why wouldn't they? Because they're distracting them from the time they've got. It's not using their time well. Their time there is designed to make a cake or bread or biscuits or something else in order to oppress the judges. So they do not get distracted with things that don't matter. And it's the same for us, but a bit different. This passage points to a few things. So let's go to verse 4. This is the scoffers. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as if it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, they're, they're saying it's, it's not going to happen or it's going to go on forever. There's not one piece of uh, toilet roll. It goes on forever. So you don't need to worry about a time limit. You don't need to worry about it. But actually, time doesn't go on forever. And what we can do is we can enter into this wonderful world of future me. Dave Cutting introduced, introduced me to this idea. So what we do, we have this future me situation where we, we push who we want to be into the future. We push what we should be doing into the future rather than doing it now because we feel we've got time. So whether it's 
healthy habits, or whether it's exercise, or whether it's learning, whether it's qualification, because we haven't got the discipline to do it now, we push it into the, the future and claim that as our identity. I, I will do that, and that will be me, so that's who I am now. And it's a classic case of putting something off. A classic case of procrastination. We think we've got more time than we have, so we delay things we know we should do. You may be sitting in the room today, and God's been on your case for weeks or months or even years, and you've said to him, knowing he's real, I'll come to you at some point in time. I know you're real, but I just want to live my life my way for a bit, if that's all right. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief does not announce that he or she is coming. He doesn't write you a note, stick it through the door and say, by the way, I'm going to come and thieve something tomorrow evening. The point is this. He arrives unexpectedly. The day of the Lord will arrive unexpectedly. No one knows the time or the date. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be hundreds of years away. But the mistake we make is thinking that we have forever. That tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year, or next decade, I will be that person. I will make that decision. I will do that thing that God's asked me to do. Today is the day. A time limit makes you focus on what matters. And if I can, in as graceful a way as possible, just say to us today, there is a time limit. You have a set number of days on this earth. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief of your day to die will come, perhaps like a thief, unexpectedly. Don't live in the future with this idea of you being something that you're not yet, not yet, or doing things that you will do in the future, but not doing now. Let today be the day you do the things God is calling to do and asking you to do. Right. What does it mean for us today? If Jesus is our judge, he is the judge, and we will be judged by Jesus, all of us, justly. We need to be ready. I could turn to loads of parables in the Gospels that talk about being ready for Jesus coming again. We haven't got time to do that today, but the principle is clear. We can see it from this passage. Be ready for Jesus coming again. Timothy, we're gonna, what we're going to do, um, this is the last passage of Scripture. I'm going to make a few points in this. And they're going to conclude. But this passage is where the Apostles' Creed statement comes from. So 2 Timothy 4.1 says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul is saying this to Timothy, his son in the faith. In the light of who Jesus is, his coming kingdom, and the fact that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, do what you're called to do. Don't get distracted. Do 
what you're called to do. And that's not a heavy thing for Timothy to hear. It's not a heavy thing for us to hear. Because you know something, when we do what we're called to do, what Jesus asked us to do, when we follow the words in his Bible with faith, do you know what follows? Joy. I'm not saying it's easy. That's different. I'm not saying you'll always be happy. That's different. What I'm saying is this. Joy flows as we follow Jesus' commands. Joy flows as we recognize what Jesus has done for us and on the day of judgment that his righteousness will become ours. And he will judge us justly, but know that we'll be counted as those who get to go and spend eternity with God in heaven. So these things that... Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm going to give Timothy the greatest joy as he fulfills what he's called to do. Now, this is not a job description for all of us here. But let me suggest a few things that we might want to focus on. Loving God and loving our neighbours. Do you remember in lockdown? We kept reminding ourselves of the importance. Love God and love neighbours as yourself. Be a disciple of Jesus. Keep learning. Keep following. Make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Rest. He calls us to rest. It's not like he's a slave driver saying you've got to use every single minute of every single day to be productive. We can see throughout Scripture this principle of resting in what Jesus has done, but also resting in order to know that God will provide, that we don't have to be the superhero that does everything. So we can, get, we can look at this piece of toilet paper and fill up. We've got, oh, we've got to fill every minute with everything. No, we've got to obey Jesus. He says, rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's not necessarily all about activity. It's about obedience and following him and following his spirit. And verse 11 here, we have a very good summary of what he calls us to do. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I'm gonna let me just turn it around. Are you living a godly and holy life? Am I living a godly and holy life? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Yeah? Are you living a godly and holy life? And the second thing that comes out of that, that verse is this Are you eagerly awaiting his coming? Wayne Grudem. Uh, systematic theology. I've not got that for a few years. Got out preparing for this. He says this: our eagerness to see Jesus come again is indicative of our maturity in Christ. In other words, the more eager we are, suggests the more mature we are. And didn't you just love that active illustration that Paul gave us? I was eagerly waiting for my child. It'd be so exciting to meet him. And that's just a tiny, microscopic example of how glorious and wonderful it will be to meet this Jesus. This Jesus that has saved us and rescued us. This Jesus that has loved us in ways we don't understand. This Jesus that has sent his Holy Spirit to equip us and help us do the things he's called us to do. 
He saves us. He gives us his righteousness. He helps us do what he's called us to do. Let me finish by saying this. There are some of you here in the room and you know that you are not a believer. You may be four years old, 40, or in your 80s, but you know that you're not in Christ. And so when we talk about Jesus coming again, you are filled with fear. And may I say, rightly so. Because when he comes to judge, you will want to be found as one who is in Christ, who knows him and has obeyed him and given your life to him. You will not want to be found in the category of goat. That will not be a good option if I can make it the understatement of the year. See, a holy God will not let any kind of sin go into heaven. Perfect justice will prevail and punishment for sin will be given out. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you're good enough to be judged by a holy God? This is a beautiful verse in the middle of this passage, isn't there? Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. And not wanting anyone to perish for everyone to come to repentance. So today, not tomorrow, not future me, let's all choose Jesus as our righteousness, as the one who will both be judge and the one who takes our punishment. Let's choose to give our whole lives to him today, to know that we have eternity with him forever. Let's choose to repent of the sins we've committed, of being distracted, of choosing to live for this life rather than eternity, in order that we might receive the grace of God, that we might receive eternal life, that we might receive his righteousness and his love and his joy and his Holy Spirit. Let's pray.